there are moments where you doubt yourself and your decisions. Yes. But there are also so many moments where you realize that, hey, this life that I have now is beautiful. So I'm going to stick with that, right? You're listening to The Wholehearted Podcast and I'm your host, Cohen Tan. I'm on a mission to set hearts free and inspire people to break out of their self-limitations to create the life of their dreams. Each episode, I speak to people around the world who live with vigor, courage, and authenticity. And I hope their stories can inspire you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Wholehearted Podcast. And today, I have with me my very good friend and somebody I really respect and admire for living a wholehearted life, Yo Sha'en, the happiness scientist. Hi, Sha'en. Hi, Cohen. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to speak to you today because you know, I've known you for like a few years right now. And um, every time I speak to you, I'm always very uplifted by, you know, the way that you go about living your life. You know, you pursue your dreams. You go about, you know, being able to juggle your, your, your career, your work, your family commitments, and still be able, you know, to, to do all of that. As I think you are really a superwoman. Oh, thank you so much for that. <laughs> it's really a journey. Like, it's a process, right? Fantastic. And so I, I think today on today's podcast, right, we like we look, look to uncover and unpack that process and maybe our listeners can uh, pick up a little um, tips or two from you, right, on how they too can live a wholehearted lifestyle. So we start with the question we typically ask our guests. So the first question is, what does it mean to you to live a wholehearted life? Well, being wholehearted to me is, you know, bringing your whole self and to experience life as fully as possible, like all the emotions that come with it. Uh, but I found that by allowing yourself and embracing all emotions, both the negative and the positive, um, that you get to see the whole spectrum of what life can be like. You appreciate the high so much more. And when the downs, you recognize that maybe this is just a moment or a season uh, where you have to learn different kinds of lessons. And when you bring all the lessons together, uh, life is so much richer for it. Well, that's, that's so profound, right? It's like you, you talk about embracing both the highs and the lows. And very often when, when we embrace the low moments, right, or when we face low moments, we don't want to, you know, wallow in that negative emotions or we don't want to feel that negative emotions. And so what happens is we suppress it or we repress it. We just kind of like shove it down and then just, you know, move on, right? So what is your strategy, right, to courageously lean into those so-called low emotions, I do is first of all I have to be aware that I'm experiencing it right how I walk around the tone that I have with my children it becomes very clear to me that you know maybe I'm not feeling that great that day um, and instead of pushing it away as I said I will sit with it take a few deep breaths and I even verbalize it because I know the value of doing so and by getting it out uh, by saying it out loud or writing it out loud, I feel like I can calm down because, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and then after that, I try to find some way to, to work through it. Where did this emotion come from? What is it all about? Uh, what has triggered this emotion? And quite often, I think for many of us, there are many typical patterns or cycles we go through or common triggers. And, and if it's something that's common, then I say, okay, we have done this before, we have been through this before, and maybe you just need a few hours to cool down, and then 
you can be able to move along. So I guess when you recognize it and become familiar with it, it's much easier to manage. And that's why we don't run away from the emotion. When we run away, we don't get to know it. But when we get to know it, it's not oh. as scary as we thought it is, right? And I think most people run from big emotions because they're scared. I don't want this. This is not part of me. But the more we dismiss it, um, it's like shoving stuff under the carpet. <laughs> One day you open it up and like, oh my god, there's a mountain of monsters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's so true. Those who are, I really like what you just said, right? It's like getting familiar with it, right? Getting to know it. It's like um, a friend, right? It's like the more you get to know something, it, it no longer intimidates you. It no longer threatens you, right? And um, then you'll be able to better, you know, uh, manage it, right? And, and be with it. That's, that's such a powerful um, reframe. It's like, I mean... I mean, knowing that you're the happiness scientist, right? And uh, obviously, people may have this misconception that, oh, you know, she's always so happy. You know, um, everything's uh, always beautiful. And we see the ro- world through rose-tinted glasses. But I'm sure it's not like that for you, right? And especially uh, what you just shared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, what other obstacles you think, right, uh, people face to living wholehearted lives? So if we live in the past and we allow baggage to drag us down, um, which means that maybe we don't want to face it or we haven't done the process to actually heal from our baggage or even become aware how that is affecting our present, then that's one aspect, how wise people aren't actually living their full lives. I think here in Singapore, sometimes we are planning and planning and planning because we are afraid that if we don't plan enough, then we won't be taken care of when we're older or if we have kids, then the next generation is not taken care of. This moment that we're sharing now is the moment that matters. Um, but we spend so much time either in the past or the future um, instead of finding time to say, like, now, what are we experiencing? What are we going through? Uh, what, what is great about this moment? And if it's not a great moment, then what's bad about this moment? And, and allow yourself to, to just experience all of it. Right? And I think that's how we can live fully not if half just only positive. Huh? I think uh, the word that you keep repeating over and over again is the word experience. And I think I, I really resonate with that. Um, at the end of the day, a lot of times, you know, what do we bring with us um, as after we have lived a life, right? A lifetime is are the memories and the experiences that we have with us. And the question is, how full are those experiences? Are we allowing ourselves to have those experiences? And talking of experiences, right, um, you have got quite a fair bit of adventure, right? <laughs> so, um, like last year, in the midst of the pandemic, uh, you took your, your family and yourself, right, to, to Germany. So, what, what gave you that courage to decide that, hey, you know, I just want to go do it? Well, I guess for me, it's always, you know, there, there will always be fear. Um, but to me, it's, I always live by this principle. What if we were living our life, this present life? Would we live it differently now that we know it as the second life, second chance that we have? And it's either we can sit in fear and say, no, I don't want to do that. And I'm not saying and judging people who do that because I think everyone's opinions and way they live their life is different. Um, but for me, is I live with that um, mental model. Right? So if it opens up, we're going to go. So the moment it opens up, say, let's book the tickets. And of course, as we got nearer to the trip, it looked like, oh, maybe we're not going to go. Maybe things will be bad. 
But all this maybe is not reality, right? Because until the day that you actually get into the plane, <laughs> a lot of it are just what is. Yeah, so in the end, we managed to get on the plane, you know. It was surreal. And the funny thing was, when I look at it, when we arrived in Germany, everything felt very calm and peaceful and orderly. How do you kind of like yes. inoculate yourself from people around you? Because very often, you know, we don't live alone, right? We live with people around us and, you know, we have... I mean, sometimes we have this emotion contagion effect, right? When people are anxious around us, it makes us anxious as well. So how mm. do you inoculate yourself from all of that? I think, first of all, I have to know what I'm doing, right? And I know why I'm doing it and I've made necessary preparations. So it's not like we are being foolishly optimistic and say, okay, we're just going to chong Germany no matter what happens. <laughs> um, it's not that. I will be very honest. Of course, it affects me. I'm only human. But I guess it's how long it's, are other people's remarks going to affect you. And if their remarks affect you so often and with such intensity, then how are you going to live your full life? So I guess at some point, it's about drawing boundaries and saying like, okay, I recognize your concern and I appreciate uh, that you're thinking about me for me. Uh, but also then I will explain that you know, we've thought this through, we've had conversations with both the daughters, with contingency plans, a practice of knowing yourself, um, communicating it, while also being respectful that other people have their opinion and that's okay. Wow, that's so that's so powerful, right? I, especially, I just picked out two things, uh, two questions you ask: knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, I mean, making contingency plans, being you know pragmatic and you know realistic, while still going after what you want. It's, it's not kind of. Yes. People often get trapped into this all um, all black or white thinking, right? It's like either you, mm. you YOLO and just go live your life to the fullest and leave everything behind without a care and be impulsive or you be careful and extra careful and you plan and over plan as you said and then at the expense of living your life in the moment. It's never just black or white. It's always somewhere in between, right? And that's where, that's where life is, right? So that's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. That's great, great zones, right? Yeah, yeah, that's great, that's great. So talking about that, right, like grey zones, everything like that, you made a very, very courageous decision, right? You had, you were, you, you were working in a, in, a, in a very comfortable job in the government sector. Um, it was a job that you were passionate about and you made a decision to leave that, right? So I understand that you were a teacher, right? And you, yes. you, you left that behind to pursue your career as a professional speaker, uh, coach, consultant, so tell us a little bit more about that process. Like, I think when I was in teaching, there was also some internal conflict. I guess maybe I'm a very sensorial person. And when I go through every day, my body and my emotions give me a lot of information. But it's not bad here, right? I'm getting a salary. People respect me. It's a respectable career to be in. I get to touch lives, which I did. Um, I get to learn so much. Um, and there's a possibility that I could go very far here. So it's almost like, you know, there's always one side of you that is very cautious, which is the survival side saying, you know, be safe, do this. This is the path that everyone has walked. So you'll be fine here. But then there's that, our gut, our intuition, and, you know, that's telling us, hey, what, what if there was more? Could there be more? And I think to find courage is being willing to listen to that voice that's actually your own wisdom inside of you 
And you, you know, people always say like, oh, don't, you know, does it mean that I just follow my passion? And then when you realize like, oh, this is just something you can't ignore anymore. And it's giving you so much, it's adding so much value to your life such that I, it's, <laughs> I think when you experience it, it's like your whole face will light up. So tell us a little bit more about you going to UPenn to pursue your further studies. Um, at the time, you, uh, you were a mother. You, um, you, you just started a family not too long ago. And you had a career and you, dis- and you had decided to leave that behind for a year to go and pursue your further studies. Tell, talk us through that process. Yeah, so... Um, and I felt this whole feeling of like, wow, I think this is something that I want to do. This is something that I meant to do. It was like a calling. Um, and there and then I decided that no matter what when the opportunity comes I'm going to go for it <laughs> but wait a second I'm just going to challenge you here right it seems like you got the I mean you to many people's uh, conventional logic you seem to have gotten things the wrong way around right as many people think right, <laughs> when you're young when you're young you go and pursue you know, all these things that you want to go pursue and then when you finally settle down and start a family you know then all of a sudden you, you, you're supposed to be domesticated, right? You're supposed to, you know, like, fulfill your responsibility as a mom, as a mother, as a wife, right? And, uh, but what gave you that, <laughs> that, that gumption, right? The conviction to say that, hey, you know what? I, I'm still going to go and pursue this thing. I mean, like we were talking earlier, right? Black and white, maybe it doesn't quite cut it for me. I think I feel like I've always lived in the gray zone. Then it comes back to a choice. Do I forsake what I've called to do? pursue my family and love them can't I love them both at the same time and it's a very powerful word <laughs> and it's a very powerful word yeah because we always think either or to me it's and let's study and bring our family that's so let's go to Germany beautiful. with one daughter and the other daughter have a good time Wow, that's so <laughs> profound. And it's a powerful word, right? Sometimes we are trapped into thinking either either this or that, right? But why not and? Why not both? Right? And that's so that's so powerful. Right? Especially when, when you mentioned about, you know, um resentment. You do not want to live life with resentment. And I think that's such a profound um topic. I just want to dig deeper into that and dive deeper into that. Um, I have seen so many people, right, um, like so-called making sacrifices, right, giving up their dreams, you know, for, you know, for the sake of their children, for the kids, you know. Um, but at, in the end, right, what happens is that they don't get to pursue what they want to pursue and then they become resentful about that, right? And this resentment doesn't really come up. It may not come up to the surface, but it's kind of like in there. It's, it's deep inside there. Yeah. And people feel it, right? It's like, it's like, Sometimes it, it might come out as, you know, after all the sacrifices I've made for you and, you know, I, you know, but the thing is, nobody asked you to make those sacrifices, right? It's like you decided to, you made a pact with yourself, right? To go pursue, uh, to not pursue what you want to pursue. But then what happens is this low level resent, resentment. That's so powerful. Did you always think like that? I mean, did you all, were you always so aware and enlightened about it? Or were you ever once, feeling guilty or feeling like guilt-tripping yourself and saying, maybe I shouldn't do this. Yeah, of course. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, I have, I mean, 
it is a difficult topic for me to talk about, but I'm glad you asked. Um, I think resentment has, I've always experienced it. And for many years, I asked myself, what is resentment? Why do I experience that? Um, I have a set of very challenging parents. One part of me says, I don't want to live like them. I don't want to be with them or like them. So I'm consciously very aware when I do feel it and I try to redirect it or we prevent situations in which I don't be resentful, right? And that perhaps has led to a certain kind of thoughtfulness and, and thankfulness. But at the same time, when resentment does come along, um, I try not to push it away because, as we mentioned earlier, denying it only makes it faster. And recently in Granny Brown's Atlas of the Heart, she, she talked about resentment being part of the anger family. And that brings me to another exploration. So then what value has been crossed? What am I not aligned with that it's making me angry and resentful? So that has been an exploration and continues to be a journey for me. Wow, this is this is so deep, right? It's like, I mean, who would have thought, right, that about 20 minutes into a conversation with our happiness scientist that we are talking about a lot about all this deep, you know, uh, weeds of all these emotions that we are facing on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, spring cleaning those emotions is, is so important for us to live a happy life, right? Um, to be to be happy and to be wholeheartedly happy, right? Um I think people are under no illusions that you know the happiness scientist is just going to be talking about how to be happy, uh, but it's also a lot about you know being willing to face with and to deal with all that you know emotions and and I thought that is that's so powerful you know um they are willing to you know take the exploration within yourself that the excavation within yourself so that you are able to align yourself to your values and um and and not live out of your own values just to bend yourself out of shape just to fulfill other people's expectations of you. I think that's so, so powerful. It shouldn't be something that you, you do just because other people are doing it. I think we all have our own path to walk. And for me, I recognize um, perhaps from a very young age that maybe I'm a little bit unconventional. <laughs> I have unconventional parents. My dad is a playwright and a poet. My mom was a money broker on very far ends of the, of the spectrum. Um, and so, you know, the path I've walked is maybe unique to me. But I'm very grateful if you're taking some lessons and using it to introspect and think about it for your own life. That's, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so, I mean, when did you know that, um, you know, you were unconventional. I mean, you know, when we were in school, right, when we were unconventional sometimes, it it shows up in being an outcast, in not fitting in, in not having friends. So even being unconventional takes a lot of guts and courage, right? So when did you realize that you were unconventional and how did you go about embracing that? Well, as I mentioned, um, besides being a poet, my dad was also a teacher and a teacher of teachers. To cut a very long story short, um, everybody knew me as his daughter as I was going through school. And so everyone would say, oh, this is, you know, uh, his daughter, she must be very smart. She must be very good in English. I was actually on receiving and of bullying. Yeah, so perhaps like you say, you being an outcast, 
I didn't choose to be in that role, but somehow that's how I ended up, right? And so maybe that was the first early indications that maybe I don't quite fit in here to wherever I was. <laughs> maybe I just didn't. Uh, of course, as a 13, 14-year-old, everybody feels awkward and different. <laughs> and how did you uh, make peace with the fact that you're unconventional and, 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 and go into it? Um, and, and I ask that from a place of um, personal experience as well. I had a sensing that I was unconventional um, when I was young. However, it became a source of pain rather than a source of joy for me because I asked myself this question, why can't I be more normal? Why am I so weird? Why am I so different? And um, for, for many years, right, um, I have lived under the shadow that I am a misfit, I am weird. I really wish I was born more normal, so to speak, right? So it does, it does take a, a, a lot of inner work and an inner acceptance, right, to really lean into that. Okay, I'm unconventional. Let's, let's, let's do something about it, right? Let's, let's go have fun, right? So what, mm-hmm. what was that moment for you? What, what, what clicked for you? All these feelings like everyone around me is doing things in one way, but I don't see it that way. I see it like I want to do things this way. And perhaps I'm, aside from bullying, I never actually got to very big trouble, right? Like my supervisor would just tell me, Tan, your, your file check could have been better done. And I'll say, okay, I, I'll do it and see what the experience is like. And, and then if it's okay, then it's okay, you know. But if it turns out really disastrous, then I got burned by fire. Then, of course, I will adjust. So maybe in a way, I wanted to experience it for myself rather than be led by what everyone else was saying. Wow, that's, that, that, that's something um, not often done right in the public sector. I mean, so you really got a lot of courage to, 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 to go ahead and pursue that. Yeah, so I think um, right right now what what you're doing is also you're you're bringing that into um creating a revolution in um in education. So you are right now also doing a lot of uh, work in, around positive education. Can you share with us a little bit more about what positive education is? Positive education is the application of uh, positive psychology into the education setting. So instead of simply focusing on just having students to be academically excellent. It's balancing up that with development of character and a focus on well-being. So it's the end. It's not either or. We don't want students to be successful, um, but secretly having panic attacks or having anger management issues and frustration. Neither do we want them to like just be happy and don't learn anything. So this is why I like positive education because I think it gels and aligns with my philosophy of and why can't we do both at the same time? As you face the challenges of living up to your own and others' expectations, you may sometimes feel lost and lonely. However, know that you're not alone. We are here to support you in leaning courageously into your heart's promptings. If you'd like more tips, resources, and to learn more about how you can live more wholeheartedly, or to book me as a speaker, trainer, or coach, please go to coentan.com. That's C-O-E-N-T-A-N.com. That's, 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 that's so um, powerful. So when you first started out your, your, your business, right, um, doing positive education, your speaker and a facilitator around positive education, so... Was it easy for you to get get people to buy into this ideology, into this idea? Was it easy to get clients? 
Not really. I think most people felt like, oh, happiness? Like, why are you even studying about happiness? Uh, <laughs> and they were saying, oh, you know, maybe you should go and do something more profitable. Um, but I think sometimes it's like we can't, we can't do something and hope that 100% of people are going to, to like what we do. As I said, I have a very deep conviction um, in the work that I have. And for me, it's important to find people who say, yes, I see this as, as something that's valuable and important and invest and are willing to invest the time and commitment into doing this. And for me, I see myself as a partner. I'm not just a vendor that provides services. I'm a partner that believes in what they believe and I'm committed to walk this journey with you. So in the beginning, um, yes, there was not much receptivity. People were just thinking like, oh, maybe this is just a fad. Uh, but for me, I think it comes through in my passion and my conviction, even up to this day, it's been 12 years. Um, and I still tell people like we want students to be, uh, you know, when they leave school, not to just live with A's. You want them to live as a human being who knows how to live life and knows how to handle the ups and downs, who knows how to, of course, study, but they also must know how to be able to make friends. They must know what their life means. They must have, you know, uh, they must feel good about their life, right? So yeah, you know, it has always been that I focus on people who are willing to walk this journey with me and let's walk together. Let's, you know, let's do it together. Wow. I see that, that conviction in your eyes as you're sharing that, right? It's like, um, conviction is such a powerful, powerful, um, emotion, right? When you feel so convicted, deeply convicted about something, you know, it becomes contagious. And I think, um, however, the other, the, the, the other side of, um, conviction is, about having positive faith, having the belief that if you were courageous enough to put your word out there, your message out there, there'll be people who will be willing to walk this journey together with you. Sometimes when people, you know, they have a conviction deep in their heart, but they don't have faith. They don't, they feel like, you know, I'm not so sure if, um, what I say, people are going to agree with me. People are going to like what I have to say. You know, what, what if, it would just be like, you know, shooting in the dark and, you know, um, that, and, and there'd be no sound, right? There's not even an echo, right? So, um, people have, people, people get, you know, bogged down by that. Did that ever cross your mind that you're afraid that if you just be the, the sole crusader on this journey, that you will, you, 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 you'll just hear crickets? Have you ever worried about that? I mean, it's like, I always, when I came back, right, from the US, uh, I felt like I was the only person, this crazy person dancing on a hill by myself. I had my, <laughs> yeah, I, I had my headphones on and I was like, ah, you know, but I was having a good time. I was doing work that I loved. I had time with my daughter. I didn't have the greatest amount of money in the world, but to me, it was a, it was a time to reevaluate what matters to me. I wanted to have time with my children to be invested in their early childhood. I wanted to do work that I loved. And therefore, if the what is existing doesn't give me what I want, then I guess at that moment, I would have to contend with not having as much money as I used to. But it was a very profound time because I realized that actually I don't need a lot of money to live happily. I don't need a lot of money, right? I only need maybe five tops <laughs> for one day of the week. Uh, not as extreme as... Uh, some people only wear the same pattern of teaching every day. Uh, but, and I also realized that I don't have to eat at fancy restaurants. I can just eat my wonton meat and be very happy. 
time with my family. It doesn't cost any money. We can take the bus. We can go out to the parks. And that was the time when I realized I'm not beholden to this narrative. Right? Wow. And, and yeah, so, yeah, so it was very freeing, actually, if you ask me. People say that, oh, it must have been very difficult. Yeah, of course. Yes. It, it was difficult. I mean, there are moments where you doubt yourself and your decisions. But there are also so many moments where you realize that, hey, this life that I have now is beautiful. So I'm going to stick with that, right? (laughs) Wow. 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 I mean, so much images go through my mind, right? That, that the, the, the crazy girl dancing on a queue and everything like that. I mean, that's so <laughs> awesome. That, that, I mean, I, I, I sometimes feel like that too. And that's the reason why I'm starting this whole other podcast because, you know, I, I live my life, you know, intensely passionate about what I'm passionate about. But sometimes people are saying, cool, I think you're a little too passionate. You're too intense, right? And you're a little crazy sometimes. And for, as, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes for a long time, I felt like I'm the only one. You know, I'm weird. I am a bit, you know, uh, crazy. I'm too intense. I'm too something, right? But, I mean, I, I'm starting to really, you know, embrace that, you know, unique is, is, is great, you know, and being different is sometimes great, right? It gives you permission to, to, you know, to, to create something new, right? To make a difference, right? If, if everyone's yeah. just following dogma and fitting into the same old, same old patterns, then nothing is ever going to be created, right? So, wow, this yeah. is, so, and, and of course that realization, right? And that what your, what your values are is, happiness and also happiness with your family right you know so you know knowing that you don't need a lot of money right to 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 have fun and to have connections with your family helps you really to 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 free yourself and i love that word it's very free i think a lot of people are in a world that we live in today are fighting for autonomy and freedom yes um, have you ever felt trapped in your life how did you make you feel and how did you feel yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess in my, in my early years when I, of my career, I did feel trapped somewhat, right? Because as I told you, there was like a misalignment in some of the things that I believed. Um, and so I guess, yeah, because my, one of my values is freedom, right? So the moment your value is compromised and on a every single day basis, you just feel like, you know, I need to do something. But what is that something? How do I do it? Of course, these are the practicalities of life. Uh, and so, like, to make all those leaps that I did, it was not without, uh, it was not, how to say, impulsive. It may appear that way, but it was not. Like, we thought about things. We made sure finances were in order. We communicated, or at least I communicated with the people who might be impacted by my decision. And I got my feet wet slowly. Right, getting familiar with what is it I wanted to do, conceptualizing some kind of a loose plan. Uh, but of course, like you say, um, there was some faith, some faith that people would believe in what I do, people would pay me for what I do. Uh, but like you say, we can't go in and say, I'm going to live on zero dollars a month. It's not possible. So I set a very low benchmark and said, you know, if I have this amount, I'm good. And for the first year, I just made sure that I have that. So, you know, sometimes we may go in with very grand plans and say, oh, you know, I jump from, from a civil servant to being self-employed. I'm going to make back the same amount of money in week, in month one. So expectations must be moderated. You know, it's, you go in and say, if someone is willing to hear me speak for 15 minutes on positive psychology, that's my month. It's a very low benchmark, 
And but because it's low, when you hit it, you celebrate and then you can elevate the benchmark, go to the next one and say, maybe two people listen to me. <laughs> and then at some point, you know, you realize that, hey, people are giving you good feedback. This is working. Now it's time to put the dollar to it. But all of these are firsts, right? The first time I put a proposal, the first time I put a quote, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, just put in some dollar. Don't talk to some people who say roughly put this amount and then you go for it. And, and yeah, so I remember the first time someone said yes to my proposal. I did like a, a, another one of those happy dancers in my living room. Like, oh, someone is going to pay me to do this work. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember, you know, and that was the moment really Cohen that told me like, I may have been crazy and silly being the only person dancing to my own beat, but there's another person who is now dancing with me. I'm grateful. <laughs> oh, and then of course, and the, the third person or fourth person, I, I cannot remember what was the tipping point where, um, I think was it the sixth person or seventh person? And all of a sudden, you know, um, a mock, a mock movement started, right? And I think, um, something I picked up as you're sharing, Sharon, even, um, you know, listeners at home may, may not have heard you actually say it is this idea of, you know, playfulness. Right. When you're trying something new for the first time, there's this element of playfulness as well. It's like, okay, you know, um, you get this beginner's, you know, um, freedom, right? It's like, hey, you know, I, I haven't done a proposal before. I don't know how it, how it looks like. Well, it's okay. I'm just going to ask around. I'm just going to cobble something together and see how it goes, right? And there's this element of playfulness. And I think that that's something similarly missing in many people as well. Like, we're so afraid mm. of making mistakes that we don't allow ourselves to even play and experiment. So, would you say that this is related to when you realized that in school early on that you were a little unorthodox and a little unconventional and that's why you decided to just lean into it? Or or is this something you have to teach yourself to be playful? I think that fundamentally, if you look at children playing, right, they're all playful. Why we actually unlearn this playfulness or we become trapped in a, in a certain way of playfulness Right. And, and, and because it happens at such a young age, when we become adults, we actually just conformed to what convention demanded of what playfulness looks like. You know, but if you look at any other child, um, they're all having a great time until an adult says, ah, stop doing that. Ah, yeah. Why you play like that? Right. Or even like, hey, be careful because you're going to fall down. Are they really going to fall down? I think it's obvious speaks louder sometimes. You know, and I realized that even with my own journey as a parent, that some part of me is, of course, worried. But I have to talk to that part of me and say, hey, you know, uh, let's just allow, right? And and I, I know, I, I feel it that, you know, worst case scenarios could definitely happen. And we're not saying just allow the child to cross the road no matter what, <laughs> without telling them to be careful. I'm not saying that, right? And it's more like, okay, you know, when we're at this junction, um, there are lots of cars. And what we need to do is to look out for it. And then we walk, right? So it's like we do the we do the necessary to get to where we are, but to make the leap, we need a little bit of like you said, faith. But also the the I mean, playfulness to me is is something so fundamental and inside of us. So to answer your question, I think we have unlearned it. We now need to relearn it, and to relearn it is to be able to embrace all parts of ourselves. Like you know, why is it people look at that person dancing on the Hill. At first, it starts with judgment. But what is judgment? Judgment is me versus you. I'm not like him. 
But if we were to really mm. ask ourselves, are we really not like him? There's a part of us that wants to be like that. The small part of us that, that five-year-old says, I want to play. I want to go be cuckoo and yes. crazy on the hill. But then the moment we think that, the other voice says, no, you cannot. This is not how you should do it. And so we look and we think they are judging, but I think it's envy. We want to be that. Wow. So it's, do we allow ourselves, right? Do we allow ourselves to be there? Like you said, it takes courage. But at the same time, this is our natural self. This is what we started with. So I guess it's finding your way back there, right? Almost. Wow. I mean, <laughs> you just you just spoke the words of um, that my heart needed to hear. My heart needed to hear that. And, and thank you so mm-hmm. much for sharing that. It's just so permission-giving as well. It's so permission-giving as well. So, I mean, Sean, I think a, a, a couple of years ago, um, in the midst of the pandemic as well, you were making um, a little pivot. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a complete pivot, but you're making a pivot towards women empowerment, but you want to do things to you know, empower other women around you. So, um, what made you take on this new path? I guess in my work, uh, when I do workshops or webinars, I often have, I, I tell a lot of my personal stories because I think um, in sharing my journey, um, I hope that people can feel empowered to say, well, she's tried it out. She didn't turn out too bad. <laughs> she seems to be enjoying her life. Um, um, maybe I want to try it too, right? And and I also share because I know uh, that by sharing, it breeds connection. And And because I share so much, I get a lot of ladies particularly who come to me, send me private messages and say, oh, Sean, this is what I'm experiencing. How do you do it? How how come you can live like that? And even yesterday, I was at a workshop and someone said, how did you learn to draw your boundary lines so clearly and and be able to enjoy everything that you do? You know? Um, and so I realized the power of, of being that vulnerable and authentic self. And, and because so many of them are women coming up to me, I also realized that there's so many women who feel stuck and trapped where they are. And the truth is, it doesn't have to be like that. Everything that I've been doing to feel the way that I feel and live the way that I live is what I've learned. And and if I can learn it, it means it can be taught, right? And if it can be taught, then someone else can take these strategies um, and do it. But of course, they must be willing to do the work, right? So that's what I believe in. I believe that every human being can live a whole and full life and if I can contribute to that in some way by either telling my stories or sharing the strategies that have helped me to get to where I am, then I'm, I want to do that, right? Because I feel sad and, and frustrated, to be honest, when I see someone else living in a way that can be changed. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah, I feel, I, I, as a speaker myself, I also meet people like that. I feel frustrated and sad and a little bit brokenhearted sometimes for them, but um, yeah. they have to want to see for themselves. True, true, of course. They they must believe that it is possible. Like, even if when, it's like that little sliver of possibility, right? I think yes. we believe in that and we just take small steps forward. That's beautiful, that's beautiful. And, and obviously, when you share your story, what you're doing is you're giving them permission. And I think that this is something that I'll our society don't talk a lot about. You know, we're talking about motivating them and inspiring our employees, our team members to be the best that they can be. 
But sometimes what people really need is permission, right? That permission to say, hey, you know, she tried it. She didn't turn out too bad. Maybe I can do it too, right? So, um, I mean, what, what are the things you do in your life, right, uh, that, you know, give permission to people? I think I'm, I'm not afraid to do things that are not the norm. I think mm. we've already explored that. Um, I let them know that it's okay. Like, I actually verbalize it's like if you're struggling with anxiety, I would say, you know, it's okay to feel the way that you feel. It's perfectly normal, like normalizing some of these things that are stigmatized or judged. You know, um, like yesterday the lady was saying, it's so hard to speak up to my parents, you know, in our culture, it's very hard. And I acknowledge, so I said, I acknowledge that it's hard. And while it's hard, you have to ask yourself, whose life are you living? Yours or theirs? Right? And that will give you the courage to say, maybe today. And I said, you don't have to say, like, go to your parents and do a declaration and say, I'm not listening to you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, You know what I mean? It's like, like, let's say they say, oh, I want to come over. And it's unannounced. And you are not ready for it. I think courage is putting it out there and say, mom and dad, I know you want to come. I know you miss me. But right now, I'm in the middle of a work proposal. And it's perfectly okay to say that. And there will be fear. There will be discomfort. But it's only because we're unfamiliar. It's not going to kill you. But many of us go to the worst case scenario and say, ah, die lah, die lah. They're going to think that I don't love them. <laughs> They're going to think that I don't care, that I'm, I'm not filial. Yeah, but those are messaging. Those are ingrained messaging. And the only way to, to live fully is to slowly dismantle that by trying. Wow. Right? wow. Yeah. And she was like, ah, very scary. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> then I say, but, but every day if they, if they cross your boundaries and appear in your house, not scary, man. I think that's more scary. <laughs> so it's, uh, to me, it's a matter of perspective, right? You know, if, yep. if, if you give yourself away, isn't that scary too? So, which wow. which one do you want? What are you choosing? You know. Wow, wow, wow! Can you share a little bit more about your your, your principles as a leader, especially now you are, um, you know, you're you're such an unconventional person. At the same time, you're so in touch with your own emotions, and also that you are a practitioner of positive psychology. How? What is your leadership philosophy? You know, something I like when you think of talk about a leader. Like I have always been afraid to be a leader. Um, maybe because I thought of a, what a leader should look like and it didn't look like me, right? Unconventional. Ma. So how to find people who look like me as leaders? And then I realized something that, you know, actually I've been leading myself all this while. And that really allowed me to say, if I've been leading myself all this while and things are going well, then, hey, that should give me the belief that I can lead other people too. And that's been a lot of work over the past two years. And I guess so to like my leadership style is, you know, I, I'm kind and firm. So I would love the work to be done, but I don't need it to be done in the way that I envision it to be. Like nobody, they don't have to operate like me, in other words. I recognize that I'm different. Hence, I cannot expect everyone to be like me. That's one. Two, um, I give freedom, but freedom comes with accountability. If I allow you to work from nine to five, go ahead. You can do whatever you want as long as I get what is it I ask from you. If in between you need to walk your dogs, you need to go and buy bubble tea, it's fine. You know, I'm not going to say like, oh, you can only buy bubble tea from this shop. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, and, and because of that, 
accountability and freedom. I, I do get the stuff that I want done, but people also feel happy because they can do it in the way that they want, in the time that they have. Um, the other one is openness. Like I have had many experiences where um, maybe they feel fear because like, oh, you know, uh, she's the boss, so I'm not going to tell her what I've done wrong or that I don't know. Uh, but I, in all my onboarding, I, I let my, my team know. It's like, you know, I don't know everything. But as a team, we will know more. And if you think, oh, love it, right, that that you can you want to hide things from me because you've made a mistake, then then we we say that mistakes are bad. But actually, we're all learning together. So if you make a mistake, I want to know about it because then we can move forward. Because when we move forward, it's better for the whole company. It's not just you, but you and me. You making a mistake, therefore, is your problem. You know, then I'll ask myself, if you have made a mistake, then, well, you learn something from it. But I also learn something from it. And maybe there's things that you, we need to equip you better with, right? So let's say they are designing something and they don't know. I'm not going to say like, hey, how come you don't know? Huh? Yes, okay. Maybe I'll say, hey, how about this resource? Why don't you check out this video? Maybe this will help you with that, right? And then they're like, oh, so they learn something and I don't have to victimize them for the mistake that they've done. It's a win-win, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not perfect. I can't say that I have it down all the time <laughs> but I mean this is what I try to live by and if I do make mistakes I say well I'm sorry you know I I could have done better here it's, it's a process you know, of learning together with them that is so beautiful I want to ask you the question because uh, you know sometimes as um, as bosses as leaders ourselves you know we, we preach wholehearted living right but if we have any you know blind spots in our own leadership we may also you know stifle the creativity the self-expression and also, you know, we, we may um, sometimes compromise psychological safety within the team. And so people people cannot bring their wholehearted self to work, right? So I think um, on that sense, you're very, very congruent, Shan. And um, something you recently shared with me really inspired me. 80% perfect is better than looking for 100% perfect because it doesn't exist. And when you are always looking for 100% perfection, it doesn't, um, I mean, you don't, you don't ship work. You don't get work done, right? You don't actually yeah. publish your, your, your post or you don't actually, you know, publish that article on, on, on LinkedIn or you don't uh, write that book or shoot that video, right? So I thought that was very, yeah. very freeing. That's very, very enlightening. How did you learn that, 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 that idea? When I was in UPenn, there was a professor that came to speak to us on the concept of maximizing versus satisfying. Now, maximizers are people who are, tend to be perfectionists and want to maximize everything, meaning that they must get everything 100%, must find the best school, the best husband, the best dog, the best house. <laughs> yeah, I get it, yeah. yeah. Right? But I understood what that meant because I came from a very good school, uh, high achieving. There was nothing less than having those straight A's on the board. And everybody saw what you did. Um, but as I said, we, we learned a lot of things that perhaps at the, at the moment of, of embodying that, it was necessary for your survival. But I realized that that's also, that would put a lot of pressure on me. Right? And if I felt the pressure, then am I not transferring the same pressure to my team? So the other concept is satisfying that is, you know, it's good enough. Of course, it's not crap because we don't want crap in our work. Right, but it's good enough, meaning that it hits all the fundamentals, and maybe there's just that twenty percent that maybe needs a little bit more finesse or nuance. And sometimes for our team members, 
if they have not lived our life and our experience, they may not have that 20% finesse to finish the job because not because they're incompetent, but they just have not walked in our shoes, right? And therefore, to me, I see as if they've done 80%, that's satisfying, satisfying, that's good enough. And I can coach them, maybe they can hit 90%. That's great. And But that requires effort on my part to coach, right? So can I spare a bit of time to do the 20% to make it more authentic, more like me, drawing my experiences? Or do I want to keep haggling for the 100% and then they have to edit, 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 and then nothing gets produced and they still don't sound like me because they're not me. <laughs> so, I mean, these were the two options that's way in my mind. And I realized that they have room to grow and then they don't have to learn everything today or this month. And because they are growing, I can't expect them to hit 100% right now. Neither can I. I can't be 100% leader right now. So let's do it together. Wow. That's so, that's so inspiring and so, so enlightening, uplifting. That's, thank you for sharing that, Sean. Um, we're coming to the end of our, our, our interview. And so typically, you know, we ask our, our guests some, you know, uh, quick fire questions to end the, the, the podcast interview. So um, I'm just gonna. Are you ready for that? Uh, I'm just gonna. Uh, yeah, let's do it. A few quick five questions your way. Right. So the first question is: What's the most powerful question you have ever been asked before? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think it's a very fundamental question. That is, what really matters to you in your life. And I think it's a question that is worth repeating over and over again because sometimes we lose track of what it is. We get we get swayed by shiny object syndrome and think, oh, that's really important. I need to do that. Yes. <laughs> right? We get swayed yes. by other people's opinions and judgments like, you should do that. And you're like, oh yeah, maybe I should. Nah. But then I, I find that this question is very grounding. Like what really matters to you? Like in the middle of the night when nobody cares, nobody is there. And it's just you with yourself. Like what really matters? And I ask myself this a lot. And it always comes back to my family, my connection. Right? And so if I think, where do I want to spend my time? I want to spend it with people that matter. And it's Aww. very simple like that. You know? I, and, and if I have a lot of money, I'll still want to do that. Right? Wow. Wow. That's, that's so powerful. Um, second question. Who is a mentor or supporter who has made the biggest difference in your life? Um, I have a group of girlfriends. Um, and I guess you can say our relationship is both supportive and mentoring. So it's like, a it's a very nourishing group of friends and we are like-minded, but yet we are also very different. Uh, and, I feel like it's a safe group where I can be myself, share the things that are difficult, but also appreciate the moments of success that all of us experience. Um, and to me, uh, having girlfriends that are supportive was not part of my childhood growing up. In fact, because I was bullied, I was in a girls' school. <laughs> to me, it has always been very tenuous, right? It's like, can I trust this girl? Can I trust this woman? And so when I found this group of girlfriends, it was so like, Wow, you know, I can, I can actually have a group of girlfriends and we don't backstab each other. We don't gossip. We just focus on enjoying each other's company and supporting each other fully. Yeah. So I am just so grateful for, for having them. Wow. That's, that's very, very empowering to know 
um, you know, I, I do know that sometimes, um, when, when I see ladies supporting ladies, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing to see. You know, it just warms my heart. Just as much as seeing men supporting men. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's awesome. So what's one of the most courageous things? I'm sure you have shared many courageous things you've shared on this podcast already. <laughs> but uh, just going to ask for one. What's one of the most courageous things you have done in your life that's made all the difference? Just one. I think many years ago, I, I recognized that uh, a past relationship uh, was affecting my marriage. And I thought to myself, well, uh, I could just continue to ignore that it's affecting or not acknowledge that it is. Um, but I thought to myself, what if I was no longer here tomorrow and I didn't resolve this? Would I be happy with that? And the honest truth was, no, I wouldn't be happy with that. So I made a decision that I would face it. It was so hard. It was so painful. There were so many hurdles to cross. Um, but I got through it, you know, and things got resolved, things were better, and my marriage grew stronger as a result. Um, and <laughs> it, it had a resolution that I could not have expected, such a great resolution as well. So yeah, I mean, that was, that was tough, but it was worth it. <laughs> wow, the goosebumps just listening to that. <laughs> Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, I mean, I can, re- I can relate to that. I can resonate with that. So, um, where can our, our listeners and followers, you know, find you on, um, your socials and on your website? You know, how can we find you online? Yeah, well, my happy, my website is happinessscientists.com with a plural. And on LinkedIn, uh, I have a company page, which is happiness scientist, but I post most regularly on my personal page. Which is Sha and Yo M A P P. Yes. And on Insta, uh it's Sha and Yo S H A E N Y E O. Great, great, great. So uh, I encourage our listeners to, to connect with Sha'an because she's such an uplifting, inspiring, wonderful uh, lady. I'm sure we all be inspired from so far by her stories. So thank you, Sha'an, for, for sharing your stories. And um I look forward to catching up with you again very, very soon. Um, you can find all the links to Sean in the show notes. So remember, if you like what you have heard so far, you can you know give us a five-star review and give us some comments. It will help us, uh, more listeners to discover us, as well as it would also encourage and inspire me to continue to produce great content for you. Thanks for being part of this heartwarming conversation today. If you've enjoyed the show as much as I have creating it for you, I really appreciate it if you can leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you won't miss a future episode. To the next episode, stay wholehearted.